0: I'm Scott Herbie
1: from Weintraub-Tobin. I'm Josh Escobedo from Weintraub-Tobin. Welcome to another installment of The Briefing by the IP Law. Last year, we had a discussion about the risks of defamation claims resulting from the portrayal of real people in docudramas. One case we discussed was a then newly filed lawsuit by former New York City prosecutor Linda Fairstein who ran the sex crimes unit and was involved in the prosecution of the Central Park Five five African-American men who were wrongfully accused and imprisoned for a near-fatal rape in Central Park. Fairstein sued Netflix and its producers over her portrayal in the Netflix series, When They See Us, which was about the Central Park Five. I understand that there have been some interesting developments in that case, Scott.
0: That's right, Josh. So as you may remember, Fairstein alleged that she was incorrectly portrayed by actress Felicity Huffman as having a larger role in the Five's fate then was factually accurate. Fairstein claims that she was portrayed in a false and defamatory manner in nearly every scene in the three episodes in which she appears, and that such portrayal cannot be justified by the mere use of artistic license or dramatization. The complaint claims that the series depicts Miss Fairstein, using her true name as a racist, an unethical villain who is determined to jail innocent children of color at any cost. There were some initial long motion skirmishes, but more recently, Netflix and the uh, producer defendants filed a 12b6 motion urging that the complaint has no, plausibly, uh, no plausible allegation that the depictions of Fairstein are defamatory under New York law.
1: Through 12b6 motions, what the court does is it assumes that all facts that are well pleaded are true. The court isn't required to assume the truth or validity of any Legal conclusions or anything else that isn't appropriately alleged. Uh, But the court does assume the factual validity of the allegations. And so, what the court really does is it says if you have or if you were able to prove all allegations set forth in your complaint, have you stated a cause of action or a claim? And what that really comes down to is a matter of law and whether you've alleged all of the necessary facts. And so the court reviewed the pleadings and the relevant episodes. Um, And because of the episodes of when they see us are integral to the complaint, and the parties agree that they are properly considered in connection with the motion, uh, the court was able to rely on the episodes without converting the 12B6 motion to a motion for summary judgment. Uh, The court also took judicial notice of public remarks that Fairstein made to the Public Safety Committee of the New York City Council on January 30, 2003. The court ended up granting uh, the defendant's motion in part, but also
0: denied it in part. The court found that certain scenes that were alleged to be defamatory merely showed routine and prosaic activities that lack a plausible defamatory meaning. And in other scenes, the depiction of fair scenes were privileged against the claim of defamation because they convey the subjective opinions of the defendants and could not be understood by the average viewer to be a literal recounting of her words and actions. However, the court did find five scenes where Fairstein has plausibly alleged a claim of defamation.
1: It seems that the court made short work of its analysis of Fairstein's damages claim. The court noted that the complaint asserts the following occurrences after the release of the series. Uh, the creation of the hashtag cancel Linda Fairstein, which came into use on Twitter and is often used in a negative context, including profane tweets, Uh, Various petitions circulated online demanding that Fairstein be removed from various boards, the cancellation of her publishing contracts, and a halt to the retail sale of her books. Uh, Fairstein's publishers terminated her publishing agreement and her literary agents dropped her as a client. At the suggestion of campus administrators, Fairstein resigned from the board of trustees for Vassar College and she has also resigned from the boards of 3 nonprofit organizations. The editor-in-chief of Glamour Magazine also published a statement expressing regret that the magazine named Fairstein its Woman of the Year in
0: 1993. So in analyzing uh, the complaint and whether or not Fairstein properly alleged the claim of defamation, the court construed the words and actions attributed to Fairstein in the context of the series as a whole and weighed whether those statements and actions are susceptible to a defamatory interpretation from the perspective of the average viewer. Now, the Ninth Circuit in Paddington versus Biliosi was looking at something similar and they noted that viewers of docudramas are aware that parts of such programs are more fiction than fact. Here, the court declined to go in that direction. Um, Here, the court concluded that the average viewer would assume that when uh, they see us was not more fiction than fact. And interestingly, um, this wasn't a proposition that the uh, defendants advanced, but for whatever reason, the court felt uh, compelled to address it. Um, So the court here found that it is reasonable to expect that the average viewer of When They See Us would understand that dialogue in the dramatization is not a verbatim recounting of the real life participants, Mm -hmm. And more is intended to capture the essence of their words and deeds
1: in a whole. And can you summarize for us what the court found to be defamatory?
0: Sure. So there were five scenes. I don't kind of, we're probably going to touch on each one of the five. Um, And I think this is a real important part for producers of docudramas to think about how how these production elements contributed to. Uh, Linda Fairstein's potential claim of uh, defamation. So in the series, Fairstein is depicted as creating a timeline of the attack. Fairstein alleged that this depiction was false and was defamatory in that it falsely depicts her as uh, imbuing urgency to the investigation and hastening the interviews of unaccompanied, unaccompanied minors. Fairstein asserted that she was not present in any of the precincts, at the Times depicted, never questioned unaccompanied minors, never directed the NYPD's investigation, and never discussed which individuals should be held in custody or who should be released. Um, And she didn't plot the events of April 19th on a map. Fairstein asserts that the depiction is inaccurate because another DA led the investigation for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. The defendants argue that this depiction cannot be defamatory because it is substantially true and point to a written statement uh, submitted by Alinda Ferristine to the Public Safety Committee of the New York City Council. This is the statement that the court took um, uh, judicial notice of.
1: In deciding whether a statement is substantially true, courts typically compare the complaint of language with the alleged truth to determine whether the truth would have had a different effect on the mind of the average reader. I assume the court found the portrayal of Fairstein in creating an attack timeline not to be substantially true. That's correct, Josh. The court said that
0: Fairstein's remarks of 2003 were really a retrospective defense of the work performed by the district attorney's office as a whole and the NYPD. Those statements did not describe Fairstein as having a hands-on role in assembling the timeline or directing the uh, interviews of the suspects. Instead it credited the performance to this other district attorney and the NYPD. If if the portrayal of Fairstein in the series were substituted with some version of Fairstein's 2003 remarks, it would have depicted this other DA and the NYPD as leading the investigation. And at some point in time later on, Fairstein would be in agreement with the NYPD's timeline of events as opposed to her being the architect of the case, which is the way she was depicted in the show. Uh, this court found that such a version of events would, not, would plausibly have a very different effect on the minds of the viewer, one that did not depict Fairstein as the prime mover in putting the Central Park Five case together. The court also found potentially defamatory a depiction of Fairstein withholding the results of potentially exculpatory DNA evidence. In the specific scene, Fairstein explains that the prosecution is in possession of a DNA marked sock that has not been disclosed to the defense, and that the prosecution will quote, surprise the defense by testing the sock on the eve of trial. After the sock is found not to match any of the five, Fairstein is portrayed as suggesting that a sixth attacker must have been involved and that it, quote, helps the jury believe what we know to be true, then that's what she'll say. These scenes depict Fairstein concealing evidence from defense counsel, which is likely a violation of law and a violation of professional responsibility and also manipulating the timing of the DNA test with the goal of uh, advantaging the prosecution. The average viewer would not have, uh, the court found at least, that the average viewer would not have a reason to conclude that such actions reflect a dramatized opinion of the filmmaker, but rather the average viewer could fairly conclude that this depiction was based on some undisclosed fact known to the defendants.
1: What about the scene where the DA who exonerated the five confronts Fairstein? Right, Josh, good point. The court also found uh, that scene to be
0: potentially defamatory. Um, In that scene, an allegation is made by this other DA who was involved in the re-examination and eventual exoneration of the five that Fairstein coerced a confession from the five. Uh, This occurred in a scene where the, the DA and Fairstein meet in a restaurant to revisit the case, and this DA confronts Fairstein. This other DA says, quote, we poured over your confession tapes. We reconstructed the events of that night, minute by minute. I know what was done, and that Fairstein only acknowledged the possibility of this sixth offender to, quote, cover because you know you coerced those boys into saying what they did, close quote.
1: I can see why the court took issue with this. The statement by the DA that her team had poured over your confession tapes implies that the DA's own investigation concluded that Fairstein directed the conduct of police interviews that resulted in confessions that she described as coerced. An average viewer would believe this scene to be based on some inside information. It doesn't come across as dramatic flourish.
0: No, Josh, it doesn't. The court found that this damning judgment of Fairstein's conduct voiced by a professional colleague could plausibly hold Fairstein up to shame, ridicule, and contempt. Because the statements by this DA uh, purport to be based on facts that she uncovered during her investigation, and they're not couched in subjective language, the court found that the average viewer would conclude that the defendants knew some facts that were unknown to the audience, which support the speaker's opinion, and are detrimental to the person being discussed.
1: And what about the scene where Fairstein is portrayed as directing the NYPD on interrogative tactics?
0: Right, Josh. The court also found that to be potentially defamatory. That's a scene where Fairstein is portrayed as instructing the NYPD to harshly uh, interrogate the suspects and also to investigate young black males in Harlem. Specifically, the court says that the average viewer would understand the comments that are attributed to Fairstein that, uh, that, the, that the NYPD detectives should, quote, make the suspects name their accomplices and not to, quote, use kid gloves on them because they, quote, rape this woman and that they're, quote, not kids. Uh, the, the court said that the average viewer would, would understand these statements as instructions to coerce suspects into naming accomplices and to treat the suspects as adults rather than minors.
1: What about the scene where Fairstein is depicted as giving an instruction to the NYPD to get an army of blue up in Harlem to stop every little thug they see? And just to be clear, that's a quote. Right. That is a quote from the show, Josh. Um, The court did
0: find that to be potentially defamatory. The court said that that could be seen as an express advocation of conducting unlawful police stops of young black males without reasonable suspicion. The average the court said the average viewer could reasonably believe that this depiction is based on facts known to the defendants but unknown to the audience. The use of false confessions obtained through coercion and duplicity. It's a significant theme in this series. And the court found that this depiction could plausibly expose Fairstein to public contempt, ridicule, or disgrace and induce an evil opinion of her, which I think it probably did.
1: In those instances that the court found potentially defamatory, well, they're quite significant.
0: I think they are, and I think the stakes are very high for the defendants. In addition to seeking monetary damages, the complaint also seeks sweeping injunctive relief, including the defendant's removal of certain social media posts, an order restraining defendants from making uh, further public statements that attribute the prosecution of the five to Fairstein, an order directing that the defendants make a public statement that they had a desire to create a fictional uh, villain in Ms. Fairstein for the public to hate that never existed in reality, and the removal and or re-editing of portions of when they see us. But, but I have a question, Josh, What happens next? With regard to the speech the court found to be uh, potentially defamatory, uh, potentially to uh, importing a defamatory meaning, what are the defendants to do to defend against this?
1: So now that the case moves into the discovery phase, we'll see investigation into the true underlying facts. So the defendants will surely attempt to, one, uh, readdress these legal issues in a manner that perhaps they can convince the court to dismiss the claims through a dispositive motion, such as a motion for summary judgment. It's not uncommon to see some of these arguments that are made on a motion to dismiss uh, reemerge at a later date through a motion for summary judgment, especially once they're able to actually Present evidence to the court rather than having to rely upon the pleadings, which, again, as we discussed earlier, are assumed to be true. Uh, we'll also see the defendants likely attack the plaintiff's claim that these matters are false. Uh, you know, here again, we're forced, well, we, the court, uh, is forced to accept. Ms. Fairstein's allegations is true. But now that we're moving beyond the motion to dismiss phase, uh, the defendants are surely going to attack the truth of those statements or the falsity of those statements. Because as we've said before, uh, Ms. Fairstein claims that these so-called portrayals are are false. Uh, And of course, the defendants are going to argue that maybe they aren't. Uh, It really depends on what's uncovered in discovery. But um, if they do discover that these portrayals are false, it seems like it could be problematic for Netflix and they may have to pivot back to the legal defenses of privilege and things of the sort. But um, if they are able to discover that these portrayals are closer to fact than Miss Fairstein alleges they are, then it seems like Miss Fairstein could have some problems with her case.
0: Thanks, Josh. That's, that's really interesting. We're definitely going to keep a watch on this. But I think one thing that's real important, a real important takeaway for producers of docudramas is um, you really have to, if you're portraying a real-life person in a manner that could be potentially defamatory, you really better make sure that your facts are
1: buttoned up. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this installment of the briefing by the IP Law Blog. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast. And for additional content, please visit our website at www.theIPlawblog.com. Thanks.